right, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Good News Cast that I think we need to rename the No Prep Cast. <laughs> we are getting pretty bad over <laughs> You know what? Here's the thing. I kind of like that, though. And I was even just thinking about, like, okay, when we first started, I don't know if you remember this, but before we did our first podcast, we were in that room. Yeah. The room next door to us right now. And there was a big whiteboard. There was a big whiteboard. And you, like, wrote, like, all over it your typical jeff hatton cover the whiteboard and unintelligible yes yes you know and then we get into the podcast and it was like whoa that that was like seven hours of content you know that we wrote yeah like time flies right so the more we've done this the more i'm like sometimes we prep we got to the point where we prep where it was like okay let's hit these three points or try to do this blah blah what about this question yeah but i don't trust that we are interesting enough to do like an hour or two okay um so I'm like, I know I want to do podcasts that people can listen to in one or two Waco car rides. Okay. Yeah. I know in Dallas, this is like a 16th of your car ride. So you yeah. can listen to a whole season and like, as you go to get, <laughs> I don't know, Skittles from the gas station. Um, but I kind of like the no prep because I think sometimes like pastors are always, when you see them, hear them, they're, they're they're always talking in a way that's very prepped. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Like I hope the sermon is wildly prepped and polished and whatever. Right. But I think sometimes I probably wish, like I wish you would just turn on a mic and talk. Yeah. And I know that you did not prepare. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and probably for me, my motivation is almost like, I want to hear you stumble over explaining that, you know, because you explain that so well. Right. That I'm like, please tell me you prepared (laughs) because I would sound like an idiot. Right. Anyway, Today, uh, of all topics to have no prep for, we're talking sanctification. So again, we're in the Bible Basics series uh, that that Jeff is preaching through, that that we are preaching through here at Redeemer, uh, finishing up in a week or two. adult class. I've been taking it. I've been taking the youth through it. Um, It's somewhat coincided with the new Theology 101. That's like basically a two-year class. Um, But really, Theology 101 is going to become our staple Bible Basics for the long haul. Anyway, finishing up the series in the next, I think, two weeks, right? You've got this week. I've got next week to finish it. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, today, sanctification. We've probably missed some topics here and there. Whatever. Get over it. Uh, we're going to talk sanctification. Uh, maybe next week we'll talk church stuff. I'm actually, we talked about me preaching on like why the church or what is the church. And I'm actually pretty excited for it because... I was reading the Westminster Confession, and it talks about how churches, per, uh, local particular <coughs> churches, can be more or less pure. They huh. talk about, yeah. Um, and um, and I was also listening to a podcast that that quoted from the confession about that, as it was talking about the tactics of manipulators in the church. And then with all that came out about Mars Hill with the Rise and Fall podcast, and then also this Hillsong documentary, yeah. I was like, oh man, what a great time for me to dive into why the church what is the church and i think particularly i want to shine light on more or less pure and what the wider culture has heard about hillsong and mars hill and these churches that have had now these public wildly public falls uh, or exposed corruption whatever yeah so um anyway that's where we'll probably go next week sanctification yeah let's talk what is sanctification let's maybe touch on some of the debates around sanctification maybe some Mm -hmm. of the more popular views that you can have and then let's also talk in there uh the consequences of getting sanctification wrong thinking through it 
uh, poorly uh, having an unbiblical understanding of sanctification. So when we talk sanctification, what are we talking about? Yeah, so um, when we looked at it this past Sunday, we opened it. I did like a top 10 list of, you know, what are the most uh, top 10 ways that we pursue sanctification today. Some of them were, you know, <laughs> Some of them were probably stretching it a little bit, a little more sarcastic than I intended like them what? to be. Uh, I like, wasn't there. So. Like be a good Christian, okay. right? I mean, that was that came in at number ten. It's pretty self-explanatory, except it's like, um, okay, once we say be a good Christian, everybody wants to be a good Christian. Then it's like, well, what the what is a good Christian? Mm-hmm. And then who gets to tell you? It's a sanctified Christian, okay? <laughs> right. And then from there, it just kind of devolved. It went into, you know, be holy um, and avoid sin. Those are the next two. And again, it's like, those are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it's hard to imagine sanctification taking place, you know, while you're sinning. And most folks think that way. It's hard to imagine sanctification without some reality of holiness taking place, right? So... There's that. And then worked our way down even to like uh, do theology and do doctrine, you know, where everything's zeroed in on objective truth sanctifying us and um, the life of the mind. And then uh, going into the heart, personal experience sanctifying us, getting it felt, right? And then even going into like uh, church leadership and church teachings. Uh, and you can do that formally and you can do that functionally. Like formally you would, if you went that route, it would be like, um, instead of the church saying scripture alone, you'd say scripture plus church leadership, church traditions, which some, that's a formal settled belief. And that's part of your sanctification, right? That sanctifies you, that activates sanctification in your life. And then functionally we do that. Uh, mostly Protestants do that, uh, by demonizing and divinizing preferences and cultural forms, right? So I even mentioned, you know, that we, where does this happen? Well, if you have more contemplative forms, if you think contemplative forms, which tend to, in church forms, which tend to be more serious and more inward looking and more individualistic and individual oriented, and um, we tend to link or divinize that with reverence, Right, which means that joyful, passionate forms are not. Um, corporate, loud forms are not reverent, mm-hmm. according to that understanding. Mm-hmm. So, and then I flipped it around because I told everybody I wanted to be a, a mutual opportunity offender, um, equal opportunity offender. And you can do like uh, the spirit filled life can be divinized as loud energetic forms right and then ordered liturgies not preaching's not observing the sacraments is not mm-hmm. confession of sin is not mm-hmm. right so anyhow everybody does it um but we got down to the number one i said the number one way that most uh modern churchgoers christians pursue or read about um theologize about Uh, wrestle with and even functionally whether their mind's engaged in or not, it's some way of activating the Holy Spirit, that that's the number one way. Um, And so we could talk about that. I mean, we can pursue that. Um, But there seems to be, if you're wanting to look at three general ways that 
that is helpful to me to understand life change or sanctification of the Christian life. Um, you can have a moralistic way, uh, which is some form, some way that we activate the Holy Spirit or activate ourselves or activate God, some sort of uh, self-activations taking place in sanctification. Uh, theologically, you'd say faith plus works, mm-hmm. faith plus human will or something, mm-hmm. some form of synergism. So that's one way. And that, and if we're honest, that, that pretty much covers probably about 90% of sanctification strategies and schemes out there today, uh, maybe 99.9. And then the other way is um, you really... It's called the the anti-law or the antinomian life change way, which is you don't believe in life change mm-hmm. and you don't believe in sanctification either formally or functionally, right? Or maybe it exists, but you don't have to somehow, you might miss it. Yeah, yeah. It no, could that's miss, good. but who cares? Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, Christians tend to avoid that. And Christians tend, yeah. you know, I mean, if you're going to ask a Christian, most of them are saying, I don't agree with that moralistic approach yeah. either, but... Uh, functionally, we're all in it, and even if you look at the way we think and do doctrine, we're in it. But the the third way, which I think is the biblical way, is that gospel way, and that's a little more. Um, that needs a deeper dive, and that needs uh, more uh, explanation and uh, understanding and more clarity uh, for folks. Uh, the other two are pretty intuitive. The other two are pretty understandable to a common explanation and even just understanding that this is how things work. But the gospel one's a little unique. Wait, what do you mean? So then we went in and I just looked at, uh, I wanted to, this past Sunday, highlight two things about sanctification and then push in and ended it. And one was this, is that sanctification's not a repair job, Uh but the invasion of something new. And again, most of our models and strategies of sanctification are this repair job, mm-hmm. right? And um, the Bible doesn't understand sanctification that way. Uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, that was the first fruit, that was the beginning of these, well, remember it says God raised him with an incomparably great power it was the invasion of an incomparably great power into this world's realm. It's almost like the powers of the age to come came into the present and started invading and making things new. And so that's why Paul says, listen, it's not circumcision that amounts for anything or religion, moralistic realities. It's not uncircumcision that amounts to anything or irreligious or antinomian or you know, don't believe in life change realities that mount to anything but a new creation. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then last thing I'll say, and we can kind of interact over this. The other is this, uh, if we wanted to explore it a little bit. So there are two things. Sanctification is not a repair job. It's the invasion of something new. Um, it's the invasion of the Holy Spirit into a corpse. Uh, I was... I was, did you see this? It was incredible. So I was stretching on Tuesday morning last week and um, I'm watching the news while I'm stretching and in Shanghai, you know, they've been in this lockdown for like six weeks, mm. this brutal lockdown. But they're, I'm watching it because I can't understand it because it's in Chinese or whatever it is that's being spoken. Uh, but they show uh, 
a body that was being taken to the city mortuary and they're pulling it out of the van and they unzip the body bag and then all of a sudden it was sheer panic among the mortuary mm. workers. I mean, and lots of pointing. So people are running, pointing, yelling, and then the scrolls, because it's in a language, you know, it's not English, scrolls across, you can hear what they're saying as it's being interpreted, alive. No. Alive. Yeah. Alive, and, 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 and one person says, did you see that? He's alive. Don't cover him again. You know, they're oh just my God. alive, alive. And, um, and I thought, holy cow. One, that's amazing. But two, that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the invasion of something new into a spiritual corpse, mm-hmm. which creates and leads to our next understanding of sanctification. And that is um, sanctification is not the absence of spiritual struggle, but the presence of it. Mm-hmm. Because that invasion of something new has just created something never seen before in the history of the world, never seen before in the realm of humankind. And that is a Christian. That is someone who is one person with two natures now by addition or by invasion. And so in the Bible, if you're not a Christian, the Bible tells you that you are um, spiritually dead. Uh, You're a corpse. Uh, you're one person with one nature, a dead nature. It's been called many things in the Bible, like the sin nature, the flesh. Um, theologians have called it the Adamic self. Paul calls it the old self. Uh, some have called it the collapsed self. Uh, that nature um, is what we all come into this world in. And a Christian is something that's just breathtaking. It's something that um, no one could anticipate and that is that there is a, a resurrection that happens, mm-hmm. that there's <laughs> an invasion. And so what that means is, think about it. If you're one person with two natures, you're in a spiritual struggle. Mm-hmm. And so instead of most notions of Christianity or the Christian life today are trying to eliminate the struggle or pretend it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. and uh, you wonder why most people report, most Christians today report Uh, their experience of sanctification being completely confusing, completely frustrating, and completely discouraging. And I would say that one of the major contributors to that is is thinking that sanctification is about the absence of struggle, not the presence of it, that the mark of a Christian is actually, as Paul says, the spirit warring against the flesh, the flesh warring against the spirit. So we looked at those two things and then just said, so basically— what do you practically do in the struggle? You lean into it. Mm-hmm. You don't run from it. Um, you don't try to explain it away, doctrine it away, theologize it away. You actually lean into it. And then we rounded it out by looking at, at how to do that. Um, but anyhow, uh, sanctification is, by most reports, a very confusing, frustrating, discouraging thing today, if people are being honest. And so I think it's, and it's the most, I mean, everybody talks about sanctification. I mean, seriously, what's the number one doctrine in the church? Sanctification. Mm-hmm. Do you, does anybody even know what comes in second place? Because nobody talks about anything but sanctification mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. How healthy is that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's ironic, it made me think ironic, uh, and then I had a couple of thoughts as you were talking that 
I, I talked about this in a sermon on assurance that a lot of times when people are talking about how to get assurance of your salvation, you want to take inventory of your Christian life and find no sin. But in Psalm um, 32, uh, it was David was trying to, he says, like, I kept silent and I felt like I was wasting away. My bones were wasting away when I kept silent. But then when I confessed his, when he says he confessed his sin, um, he comes into a realm of assurance and, a, and a, an experience and knowledge of an assurance of God's love. And so I was saying it's, it's ironic that in our desire for assurance of our salvation, we will teach people or the church will teach people, you want to take inventory and you'll know you're a Christian and you really believe if you find no sin or you find little sin. And the irony is, well, in Psalm 32, that's actually the source of David's lack of assurance. And it's his source of feeling like he's wasting away under the judgment of God. So it's actually when he acknowledged his sin and was honest about it. Ironically about sanctification, we'll teach the same things, right? Like yeah. you want to find no sin. It's like, yeah. well, you know, you know who else finds no sin? Non-Christians, yep. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't mean yeah. like absolutely, but uh, that, that's actually like the whole, the, like part of the heart and core of, of being a Christian is being someone who has now been made willing by the grace of God to be honest about sin and corruption. But then we quickly turn it on its head and say, but but for the rest of your Christian life, you can admit that on day one, but on day two and following, you want to basically find no corruption um, and no remaining sin. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I was only given a day to be honest, and now I've got to, yeah. you know, if now if I'm honest, I don't meet that criteria. Yeah. Anyways, to rewind back to a couple of things you said to kind of make some notes, I think one of the confusions about sanctification is when we talk about active and who is sanctifying and are we partners in sanctification? Is it monergistic, meaning is it God alone who's sanctifying or is it synergistic? Is it God and me teaming up to sanctify myself? When we talk about that, I think sometimes people get confused because they might they might be talking on, on one plane while we're talking on another or whatever, meaning they'll say, well, wait a minute. If you say, as we do, that it is God alone who sanctifies us, well, are, are, aren't, aren't, aren't I a Christian? When I make choices, don't I exert energy? Don't I try to be holy? And, and that is really, uh, that confusion is because we're talking about the same big reality, but we're talking about two different things. We're saying, yes, you try to be holy. Yes, you make decisions. Yes, you're this like free, willing creature. But we are talking about it at a bigger view or a deeper view or what have you. We're saying, where does the try come from? Where does the motivation come from? Does God, when when we're talking about sanctification as a whole, does God say, I'm going to help and you're going to help and we're going to team up to change your heart, to change your motivations, to change the deepest core part of you um, and to renew it over time? Or in sanctification, sanctification, does God say, no, 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 that's my job. And what we're saying is that's the Bible says, no, no, God says, that's what I do. I change. The only reason you're active, you want to be holy, you do repent, you do believe, you do any good, you will any spiritual good is because God alone single-handedly is renewing you. Then Paul even say, I mean, Paul even says that, right? Remember how he says the work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then you have that coordinating yep. conjunction for it yeah. is God who is at work in you to will and to act. So there's a, there's a, 
But that's an interesting, that's fascinating because think about that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Many read that text and think the goal of sanctification is moving, progress looks like moving towards a goal. But Paul is actually saying in that verse, it's the goal moving towards you. Isn't that interesting? So we think spiritual progress is moving towards a goal. Paul is saying spiritual progress is the goal, Jesus and his salvation. Salvation being worked into you. Mm -hmm. Work it out. Mm -hmm. Work out your salvation. And God's the one working it into you. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the other thing I, I say too about that is that God's sanctifying human beings is not sanctifying rocks. Mm -hmm. And what is a human being? It's a thinking, feeling, willing, doing, relating um, person, an embodied soul. And so sanctification is going to look like a thinking, feeling, Mm -hmm. willing, doing, relating, embodied soul, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's going to look like a human being. Um, Yeah, just fascinating. So leaning in uh, to the struggle looks like that reality of who Jesus is and what he's done actually getting worked into your life, mm-hmm. that you believe it in bigger and brighter and better ways, that you start and turn the gospel comes clear to your mind, real to your heart, and how you're handling money, mm-hmm. how you're handling sex, how you're handling relationships and conflict. And we can go on and on and on, right? The, the game changer here, the game changer here to understand sanctification rightly is that um, there is great hope and rest uh, in the fact that, I mean, there's a couple components here. One is that if we are honest, if you're a Christian, doesn't matter if you are at the height of your Christian walk with God, if you're honest, you see um, surprisingly terrifying corruption remaining in you. I could say embarrassing, you know, whatever, what have you. You see corruption in you if you're honest that you're like, how is this still here? Um, One author, Ron Julian, says something like in the in the golden years of the most like seasoned saints they can succumb in a flash to the most petty sins you know just the su- most surprising like what in the world um so so that's where we're we're all standing on that same ground which is like wow this is i'm kind of embarrassed by like where i'm yeah. still at and what i still can succumb to and 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 temptations i still have or give into so that's where we're at and we're all trying to figure out where is the hope? Where is the peace? Where is the joy? And if you see sanctification as this synergistic work where you are teaming up with God, this is how this will work out. You will go to prayer in God with all of your sin on your mind and corruption. And you're not going to go to him and say, hey, I'm upholding my end of this bargain and I'm doing my job on this team. I think you're the one failing God. It's not how it's going to roll. You're going to go to God and say, God, you're doing everything perfect. I'm the one at fault. So there's nothing for me to ask you to do. It's it's I'm not a good teammate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then if you want to bring in the whole component of assurance of salvation and things like that, it, now you've got this beast on your hands of like maybe I'm not upholding my end because do I really care? Do I really believe? Is my repentance good enough? Is my faith good enough? And now you are just in this navel gazing obsessive ever darkening place in your Christian walk where it's like you start to think like, I don't even know, I don't even know if I'm saved. Right. And then add in, add into that brother, different traditions and personalities, whatever your Enneagram number is. Mm -hmm. Right. 
and what your propensities are. And yeah. what if you have one tradition and you have one theo- theological stripe that's given you 10 steps to deliverance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or how are, how are you doing at number three? So we yeah. go back to your scenario and, and he's stuck. I, I know God, I know, because I can't do number three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can't figure out how to confess all known sin. Yeah. Martin Luther. Uh, and uh, when I do, I'm really not like sad about it. Yeah. Right. And now what if, what if enter into this reality comes real reality? Like, you know what? The flesh, the, the zombie, the spiritually dead, physically alive thing that we are, that nature in the Christian, that thing will never have sincerity. It will never love God. In fact, mm-hmm. Paul says the sinful mind is hostile to God. Right. It doesn't submit to God, nor can it do so. Think about that. How freeing is it to know that, yeah, there is something in you that is absolutely anti-God right. and absolutely right. corrupt and wicked, and you can just say, oh, there it is. It's not like you have to pretend it's not there or try to resuscitate it or put it to death or bring life out of it, rehabilitate it. You just go, yep, that's it. Mm -hmm. And I'm honest about it. You confess Mm -hmm. Jesus died and only, only his cross kills it. Mm -hmm. So this sin nature can only be killed and only the cross does it. So now you move back to Jesus and the cross and then you go, Lord, you've invaded me with a new life. Yeah. And I and I, as Paul says, it's I this this life I live now in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And we start pushing into that reality, and there's mm-hmm. some life mm-hmm. that comes in. And it's a notice the love is not just I love you. Good luck, you know. Good. I hope right. you activate me. Right. You know. I hope you you work out that those ten steps or that secret. It's a substitutionary love, mm-hmm. gave himself for me. So it's, I love you, that's why I'm going with you. And I, I think what needs to be highlighted here too with what you're saying um, is that p- people, if you've never uh, got into or heard this argument, God bless you, but people here will talk about like, you know, sanctification is not um, not the process of leaning deeper into justification, you know, and that's this cop out for antinomians, whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right, so what do you do with Paul when he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me? Paul is here leaning into the reality, not of self-righteousness. It's not God loves me because I'm righteous. No, he's leaning into the reality of God justifies the ungodly. Yeah. So I think it's huge for, it's just huge, it's biblical, it's a game changer to understand um, in sanctification you are going to continually, all of life is one of repentance, right? This is part of the heart of the whole Reformation is that all of life is repentance to Jesus. So again and again and again, oh, there's my flesh, there's my flesh, there's my flesh. Where do I turn? Well, I turn to the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. He loves me not based on my level of sanctification. He loves me not based on my uh, righteousness infused into me whatever. Mm-hmm. He justifies the ungodly. He um, he reconciled me to himself when I was his enemy, yeah. when all I did was hate him. Um, so he loves me, and thank God he has not transferred the responsibility of sanctifying myself to me. 
he has said, I will will and work within you. Um, I will activate you. I will change you. I've, I've got this. So there's just incredible rest there where the Christian life becomes this constant turning back to Jesus. Jesus, you, you loved me at my worst. So surely you love me now because I've gotten a tiny bit better, Yeah, you know? Um, but you know what? The, even if I look at myself and I cannot find anything good, yeah. Um, well, thank God you justify the ungodly. Yeah. I don't need to bring before you love for you, love for people. Uh, I don't need to bring before you goodness, you know, 30 years into the, into my Christian walk. I never needed to do that in the first place for you to love me. So what's going to change you, brother? Is it going to change you by knowing that like in the midst of, let's say your meanness, you're mean, you're in the midst of a meanness streak, mm-hmm. uh, What's going to change you? Him loving you in your meanness? Yeah. Uh, exactly. Him not being mean for you, and that's your only comfort in life and death is that yeah. he was not mean, that he loved perfectly for you. Man, that is practical change. Yeah. And that, On the spot. That is what is so simple as I was thinking about this today. The further I've gotten out of like debating and a lot of the controversy that can like hit the blogosphere about sanctification, the more simple I feel like it, I've realized it is, um, of, of like, oh yeah, that, yeah, that's what changes you. That's when, I mean, didn't, I think Jesus even told a parable about that. Like he was forgiven much, forgives much and loves much. So the more you recognize the gravity of God's love for you, an ungodly, undeserving person, well, that is going to practically uh, unleash and create and renew in you a gracious heart for people who don't, des- you know, for people who hurt you. The fruit of the spirit, right? It's extremely practical. So mm. this is a game changer in summary to see that number one, God is the one willing and working in you. He will sanctify you. And yes, by the way, it's going to be slow going. Uh, if you look in the Westminster Standard, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Heidelberg uh, catechism and and the Belgic catechism. I can't. It's either the Belgic or Heidelberg that really crushes it. I think both do. But the Westminster Standard, I think, says explicitly that we make a small beginning. That's either the Heidelberg or Belgic or something. Yeah. We make a small beginning in sanctification. I think that needs to be shouted from the rooftops a lot more to Christians. Yeah. Because the church has given the impression that you are going to get on the cusp of perfection, and there's going to be a little bit of sin left before glory. Yeah. No, you're going to get to the end of your life. And if you're honest, you're going to go, yeah, it seems like a small beginning I made. Yeah. And for whatever reason, that has that is how God has designed the Christian life. Um, it, it makes us continually run to him and trust again and again and again. Yeah. Uh, that's how he's designed it. He has allowed corruption to remain. He is sanctifying you, whether you feel it or not. If you're believing in Jesus, he's sanctifying you through your faith in Jesus. You can rest assured in that. And good news, you never have to bring your sanctification level to him to get his love. It's great news. It's a game changer. It is right? absolutely a game changer. Um, so that we maybe end this way because it feel, this feels helpful to me. If sanctification is swimming, swim in the waters of the gospel. That's yeah. how you, that's, yeah. that's, you know, make your calling and election sure. That's work out your salvation. That's Jesus getting bigger and brighter and better. That's 
faith going deeper and in new places and aspects of who Jesus is and what he's done for you changes your life. Swim in the waters of the gospel. All right, uh, went uh, a little long, but you're welcome. Um, Next week, we'll finish up the Bible Basics series, probably talk about the church or something like that. I'll probably need to be working out my upcoming sermon at that time and clarifying some thoughts and things like that. So we'll do that next week. And then maybe we'll take a little break. We'll see. There will be a break in the summer, uh, probably uh, from episodes at some point, probably uh, mid-summer. Um, but as always, reach out if you guys have ideas, topics you want to hear us uh, chat about, um, potentially in a confusing way. So we apologize in advance. Until then, peace. Peace.